This evening's Dharma talk is titled Drop One Fist. And the idea here with that kind of a kind of a metaphor or image is quite often when we feel some kind of internal antagonism, perhaps triggered by something out there, maybe something way inside of here, is the idea, the image that sometimes comes up, internal anxiety is like this kind of thing, like there's two fists hammering at each other. Sometimes that gets so intense, we actually go out and we might attack others physically, or we might not do that, we might just blame others with some kind of, uh, what do they call this, uh, weaponized speech these days, weaponizing things, weaponized Kleenex. Um, so the idea is to is to look through your awareness practice, look and see the way in which these, it's kind of like two fists coming together. If you try to fight that all together, then it creates another kind of warfare with yourself that is, uh, I don't know, it may feel like it helps for a little while, but fundamentally probably going to be circular. Um, fighting and then surrender, and then fighting and then surrender, and then fighting and then surrender. And so we're not saying to give up altogether, because I think if we try to give up kind of conceptually, just give up, I'm just going to drop it, I'm just not going to do that anymore. Something about that approach involves uh, a, a fluffing up, very subtle fluffing up of our self-centeredness, our ego, like I'm the one who's going to control myself. Um, that may be, mis may be a misunderstanding of what's going on. So it's just a, it's a suggestion. It's, it's a, a form of meditation and action, you could say. Uh, could happen on the cushion, but likely out in your everyday environment where world, uh, other people, situations, employers, friends, neighbors, whatever, um, uh, partners giving you a rough time or you're giving yourself a rough time. So it's like using the idea of a fist. We see that everywhere. There's a fist that's coming out at us or, or the fist that's going back into ourselves, blaming ourselves. It might not be like this. This is the tension part and this is the warfare part. But then we start to attack ourselves. It's like hitting ourselves like this. And it may, it may help us to feel maybe a little better because, well, it's like, well, at least we're doing something. At least we're not, we're not blaming others. We're taking all the blame. But something about that kind of blame is uh, incomplete. <clears throat> So dropping the other fist, it's bring the awareness in so you can even see that there's like two fists there and take part of that, see if you can set it aside. With your, if you have an awareness practice going where you're strengthening that which sees and not that which thinks, that which sees. If you're really seeing, then thinking is kind of secondary. Not always, but quite often. It's the openness that we're trying to, say, strengthen or develop in our lives, in our personalities, in our in our going into the store and buying something and, and working with other people and standing in line and watching the, the stress that happens all over. Not to mention the stress that might happen in our own close encounters uh, uh, of the intimate kind. Is that a movie? No. <laughs> I'm just looking to see who laughed at that. I know Kevin didn't laugh. Kevin rarely laughed. So it's, you know, this, this kind of image may not work for you. It may, it may work. You may bring your, you may think of that. You may think about how can I come in and take a, a kind of a halfway measure, kind of go into the, the, the intention and move a piece of it away, take some of it away and settle it down and use your awareness in such a way you, if the image of a fist works, then maybe you could do that. Set some of that aside. And in that way, the awareness is able to see uh, more clearly what's going on. And then the other fist, the other 
intention or the other anxiety part or warfare, whatever, then it gives that a chance to, to, I mean, you can't, there needs to be two things to have a work, have some kind of war. So what you're doing is you're using your awareness to take the very distress that you're feeling deeply, not saying anybody's particularly distressed, but if you are, which does happen, see if you can see deeply into that where you can divide it up a little bit so that you can get some kind of what I'm saying is open it up so there's some kind of ventilation or some kind of softening of that enough to set some of it aside. If you set some of it aside, then you haven't, you haven't gone to war with the, with the warfare. You haven't not particularly fighting with it, but you're, you're giving it a little bit. Uh, Trump Rinpoche, my teacher would say, say it very simply using our, one of our uh, ideograms, give an inch. Give, give a little bit, give an inch, give up a little bit. Not you don't have to give away everything, but give an inch, drop one fist. And then you'll notice if you do, if you can do that and using that image, and you know, you may not use that image, you may use something else, but there's something about doing it halfway, halfway measure, halfway that allows you to see the antagonism that, that it is without an enemy. The antagonism that has no enemy, that is just kind of energy swirling in space, looking for something to connect with. What is this about? It's about awareness. It's not about solving any problem. If you see the problem, if you see deeply the way the mind, the way our minds are knotted up in self-centeredness, knotted up in feeling like we're somebody who needs to be advanced, who needs to be not disrespected, if you can see the way in which that works, then just the awareness itself seems to be enough of a solvent to that fixation, enough to slowly dissolve that. It's, it's, like, it's like that. And uh, again, dependently on dependent on how the way in which you your karma causes and conditions brought you into such a situation to be at war with yourself or with others. Uh, that also has to be considered. Everything is dependently arisen. That means that whatever you see as one thing uh, didn't, it, it isn't, doesn't have its own basic uh, identity. It has, has a name. It's a piece of wood. It's one half of uh, these clackers. That I'm not sure why I'm doing that, but... I started doing that a long time ago, and I, is there a reason for doing that? Sheldon. Sheldon likes those, okay. <laughs> Sheldon, that's who did it. So anything you look at, anything you can name or point out as, as anything is dependent on everything else. It's dependent on everything else around it for its apparent singularity, identity, description, and so on. So if we go into there, uh, go into that situation as if we can somehow arm wrestle the whole thing and get something to work and one thing to stop and the other thing to, you know, more peace, less war. If you do that, the very nature of that kind of activity is, is that's how war works. Is if there's always some kind of justification behind it, or it's, it's only reasonable that we look what they're doing to us. We have to attack them or so you see it all over the place. Sometimes it gets so intensely confused that it's comical if it weren't for being extremely dangerous. So see if you can bring, next time you are anxious or irritated or feeling angry, uh, distressed about something, see if you can locate the anger. Usually it's somewhere in this area. And it, there might, the, the heat might even be higher than that. It might be added to, maybe adding to that by our thought process around it about how this isn't going right, uh, this is going against me, I'm, I've been wronged, uh, or however it may be, whatever the, whatever the 
story is behind it. See if you can bring awareness into that without doing anything about it. Very difficult to prioritize the awareness over the activity of solving the problem because quite often, unless, unless there's a whole lot of clarity uh, here already, if you get anywhere near warfare, you're probably going to be sucked into it. Even if it's not, if it's, even if it's none of your business, you might notice that when you, when you see two people arguing or fighting, you can feel, especially if you tend to identify with one side of it, if we tend to feel that uh, anger or rage quite often, and this isn't always the case, but quite often what is happening is unexamined distress or anger that is in your deep in your consciousness has been unexamined. It's been packed away. It's just come up at times when you could have looked at it, but you, you might've even said on some level, well, I'll check out, I'll, I'll look at that later on. And somehow you were able to move it to the, the back of the bus, so to speak, put it way back. So you can other file cabinets in the other room. But when something happens right in front of you and it's on the same frequency or the same uh, vibration or the same uh, resonance, how, whatever fancy word you want to use, somehow that out in front of you in present time and space or place resonates with that and the anger that would have been relative to the simple situation of pushing and pulling gets really, really pronounced because this anger that has not been examined or has been stuffed or has been ignored, use uh, uh, one of the three poisons, passion, aggression, and ignorance. The ignoring part is very hard to see. The very nature of ignoring makes it hard to see. So that brings that out into the open and makes us perhaps feel even more upset or en enraged. <clears throat> Brett? What do we do when something like that arises? We just feel completely I, I think it, probably everybody here can say that on some level that that's happened. It certainly has happened to me. It's happened to me in the last week. So when things get really, really intense, insofar as you can, do nothing with it. I mean, listen to it, look at it, feel of it, taste it, bring, your, bring all of your sense fields to it. Don't run away from it and don't necessarily add anything to it. Don't do any math at all. No subtraction, no addition, no nothing. Just feel that because more than likely, uh, and there's no guarantee, but more than likely, the, the only way you're going to dissipate that kind of uh, lamination as you used to is to just bring awareness to it so the awareness itself can uh, function as a solvent or as a to dissolve it because it just brings a lot of ventilation into the situation rather than taking the situation as real and fighting with it or pushing it away or ignoring it. Passion, aggression, and ignorance. All three of those tend to, it might solve the problem temporarily, you know, just like uh, getting mad at someone sometimes and just yelling or swearing or whatever might bring some temporary relief. It can also do the opposite. It can make us feel terrible. We might have gotten rid of something, but there's something kind of, I don't know, sickening about a lot of rage and intensity. So uh, quite often people who have no awareness practice, and I'm not saying you have to meditate. No, I think it's a good idea, but that, I'm very biased in that area. You know, so people who don't have an awareness practice and try to do everything through their thinking, their analysis, they try to live their whole life that way, and awareness takes a back seat. Awareness is just a servant of the thought process. This is called ego. And it can be very, very kind and peaceful and loving and everything. And I'm not saying it's uh, some kind of uh, criminal, but it's, uh, it's still operating an orbit around a very strong self-centeredness. And that self-centeredness can be very kind, 
very considerate, very polite, uh, until it's challenged. And I don't mean you go and challenge it. I'm saying if that situation, uh, which is a, a what's called a healthy ego, if it's threatened, then it's going to bring out the big guns. And who knows what lifetime those are coming from. And I'm not uh, necessarily promoting uh, belief in anything, past lives or anything else. Further questions would be good at having. Junchu? When you say you can't just drop the whole frequency, you just kind of drop the whole how does it look different to drop one fist opposed to just giving up? Yeah, I think the one uh, uh, allows the ego mind, the self-centered mind, to, to not completely lose and to, to not completely go underground and come up in another area and restart the war. So it, it's like a little bit of a negotiation. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to drop one fist. I'm, I'm going to, you could say, I'm just going to not do anything yet. <laughs> so I mean, that can show up lots of different ways depending on your own personal how you work with anger already, how you work with any kind of intensity. And, you know, everyone does this a little differently. So everyone in here experience, would probably describe how it, what it feels like to be angry or mad in a different way. And so it'd be, it would be your particular uh, style. So the practices sit a lot, of course, do a lot of sitting meditation so that, you're, so that the, that part of the consciousness is, is strong and is already very used very much used to not accepting, not rejecting, and not looking away. You sit and look at the, at the wall for many hours, or at the floor, or wherever your meditation is aimed over long periods of time. Just observe what moves. That seems to strengthen the, excuse me, strengthen the ability to just observe something without taking sides, without picking and choosing. And that we get better and better at that as we go along. We'll notice that we're sitting, we're sitting, and we'll notice that very negative kinds of feelings and emotions can come up. We know it's a little bit different in the way this worked, say, three months ago or three years ago. There's a, a little bit more of an ability to just watch it, more like you're watching a stage play. So very much like watching, sometimes it's like watching a horror movie. You know how you, I'm not saying you guys are scaredy cats, but if I'm watching a horror movie, I, I, I might think of some reason to go to the kitchen. Get, I'm just going to get some popcorn or something. But it's very difficult, even if you know it's, I mean, even if you know it's a movie, you know, it can get so suspenseful. This, we're so sensitive to everything that as soon as this terrible thing comes up, somebody's around the corner and somebody's walking down the hallway and they don't expect anything to happen. And there's just, <laughs> well, they might laugh at that. But that's better. There's something around the corner and it's scary. And we look at it and we, we want to say, don't go there. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, we know it's a, it's a movie. It's a, it's a movie. Somebody wrote this. Somebody produced it. Somebody acts in it. Somebody is the stage manager. Somebody controls the set. Somebody controls the makeup on the zombie. And we know all this, but we still get afraid. Or at least I do. And Onyo can't watch scary movies at all, can you? I go to the kitchen a lot. She, goes, she just stays <laughs> in the kitchen. But she'll even say, don't watch that. I don't want to watch that. That's too scary. And so, and then there are other people who are actually entertained by that because maybe they have a more of an ability to, to say, well, this isn't real. That can never happen. I don't happen to have that ability. Everything looks possible to me, especially zombies. So, <laughs> know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Looking for zombies. Yeah, that, that would be a good title of a talk. I don't know what I would say, but <laughs> it probably would. Huh? Looking for zombies. I'll give that. I'll talk. 
give that talk next Sunday. So, the further questions about working with anger, yes, Junchu. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, let me interrupt you. That's how it, that's what, that means you've dropped a fist. That's actually, that's actually a feedback for you to let you know that you're, you're dropping a fist. You're, you're, there's a, there's a willingness. It might only be in microseconds or micro inches or whatever, but you, there's a, there's a willingness to lose. You've heard me say, I've even done uh, calligraphies that say, lose the war. Huge calligraphy I did, several of them I've done to say, lose the war. I don't know what that means. I don't know why I'm even saying it. I don't want to lose the war. Why do I say that? Huh? That's the only way to win. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a, you know, how if you're, if you understand what you personally, anyone, what you've been through in your life with the different uh, the situations of having to deal with anger, and frustration, other people being angry with you, you being angry at others. Like, as I said, even if you can see that it's, you know, it's kind of mocked up. You know, it's it's not, it's made up kind of stuff. Still, can be extremely uh, difficult. And so, I would say, just that's why they call it a practice. Just continue to do it and continue to work with it that way. Watch your own anger. Don't try to get rid of anything. You'll never hear me say uh, anything like just let go or just give up. I don't say that because it's it's crappy advice because it's not based on how one feels. If someone. Is having a difficult time, and someone else with all their highfalutin peacefulness comes along and says, well, just relax, or just give up, or just be peaceful. That's irritating, because you know you've already tried to, you've tried the very things that they're talking about, and they are not working. So what I'm saying here, basically, the what I'm emphasizing is the awareness part of it. Bring as much awareness as you can, and bring as little expectation in as you can. In other words, it's something you're willing to do uh, no matter what happens, but without results. Looking for results is right back into relative truth again. And we're, we are endeavoring to live, uh, according to these teachings, we're endeavoring to live in reality, which is not two. It's non-dual. Uh, the ancient teaching, Indian teaching is Advaita, not two. Everything is dependently arisen. Yes. A question from Shane out in California. Shane. He asks, do all difficult slash negativity episodes that one has ever experienced that have been stuffed eventually have to come back up? I don't know. Sure, it looks like it sometimes. But I, I don't really know. I don't understand. Uh, the only thing I understand about consciousness is what I've understood from looking at it for close to 50 years, trying to understand what this is. So I'm not able to necessarily speculate on, on whether this would happen with everyone or looks looks like you're kind of if you're on this path it looks like you're willing to see what is true for yourself you're you're here and you're doing this because you want to you want to understand you don't want to believe in this or believe in that uh, and my teacher Trungpa Rinpoche once said the reason you need the teacher is so you can leave them so you need the teacher so you can leave the teacher that doesn't mean uh, you necessarily run away from the teacher or abandon the teacher. It just means that you need someone to help you fundamentally in a way that is genuine, that is honest, that is straightforward, and that is based on uh, awareness and realization rather than a lot of thought process or judging. And then you find that you don't even really leave anybody. You just, it's like there's not, you're not separate from that, that uh, consciousness or that awareness or that teacher anymore. I think Trump Warren Pache was just saying that so you wouldn't feel like you're a prisoner. You get to leave him someday. I'll tell you what. 
<laughs> yes. A uh, question from John in North Carolina. Actually, yes. he has two questions. His first one. What we, color is the sky? <laughs> no, no, that, that wasn't was, one of them. Okay. <laughs> he asks, when we simply meet whatever comes up without engaging in the three poisons, is this what is meant by liberating the myriad of beings? It could be. It could be, but but to without engaging the three poisons is a little fishy because uh, three poisons uh, may get engaged and they may not. It's whether there's a self there or not. It's whether there's a, 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 a an identity that is that is central that has a center and a fringe. If there's no center, no fringe, and there's just the three poisons coming and going, then that may be what's being pointed at. His second question um, is: This kind of open-ended, he has that in quotes, awareness of form of compassion. Compassion is to give, as I've said recently, give what? Give your attention to everything. So if you're really giving your attention to everything, then you're really doing that. That's a profound form of generosity, kind of invisible because people may not feel like you're giving much. If you're giving your attention, then if somebody is in need and is giving you their permission, if they're open and they need your help, then you'll see possibly how to help them. Whereas if you don't, if you haven't given someone your attention, then you, you you may think up ideas about them rather than actually see what is fundamentally there. So I don't know if I answered your question or not, John. Mm -hmm. Kozan from Traverse City has a question. I know her. She asks, What's the difference between the right fist and the left? Well, they're the same and different. They're the same in that they're both doing the same thing, and they're different in that you drop one. But you may not see two fists. You may just see rage. That's why I'm saying it seems to be necessary to drop the awareness, you could say, into the gut where the, where the rage is going on, or up into the head where the rage is going on, and see that hammering going on, that arguing with yourself about it. I need to do, I need to, they shouldn't, I should, they should, and on and on. It seems to be necessary until until we break it down into some parts. Uh, it may be difficult to uh, drop drop part of it. You may not be able to even do do this. This may, this may be a, a metaphor, an image that doesn't even work for you. Shouldn't you? See that it has parts. Just like... We look at the, uh, the 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 way the Buddha did in ancient times is to break down the physical appearance of a, or experience of being a living being into the five skandhas of the five heaps: form, feeling, perception, concepts of the thinking process, and consciousness of the six sense fields and the objects that are com completely coming into them all the time: taste, touch, colors, sounds. That altogether, those five parts and all of their various uh, subtle nuance uh, uh, do not make up a self. It sure seems like it. It's, an, it's a powerful illusion of being somebody who can win or lose. And this non-duality isn't just here, but it's it, the biggest form of duality that we believe in. We just totally believe in life and death. That's a misunderstanding. There's, there's a difference between life and death, but fundamentally they aren't separate. You can't have life without death. You can't have death without life. The, the, I read recently uh, where, I can't remember exactly which, uh, what I was reading. I read a lot. Um, maybe it'll come back. Oh, the most difficult, uh, death is uh, from the point of view of doing, is someone who died. Uh, um, 
said this. So don't ask me how I know about that. I'm in touch with, I have a special phone booth. Yes. <clears throat> That's me again. So uh, someone who said that it, dying is, is so easy and so ordinary that that uh, consciousness doesn't may not even realize it's died. It's birth that's the difficult one. That's the one where you're coming out of uh, spirit and coming back into physical manifestation. I remember one of the a very early memory I had was probably two or three years old. It was a memory that just it was like looking around, and it was it wasn't very complicated, and it wasn't particularly philosophical because I was a little tiny person, maybe somewhere around that size or smaller. And uh, and I said, uh, in my mind's ear, I said, why did I come back here? But I said that not knowing where I'd come from or what I'd come back to particularly. So there's a big polarity, life and death. And and they're not separate. They're separated, yes, but not separate. All those, pol any polarity you can find, anytime you see two different things, they get their meaning from each other. It's, it's on one level, it's just a very simple insight. It's a, just a, a, a just a tacit understanding, very simple understanding about it. And it's so simple that it actually, if you actually do it totally, this is realization. Realization is not, even though they have shiny Buddhas and light coming out of the head. And I mean, how else are you going to talk about it? You know, why would you have it be just, you know, a person laying on the floor wrapped in rags? Do what totally? I say, how would, you, how would you communicate the complete power of realization without... I mean, without doing something, you know, we have a Buddha 2,500 years ago, we have a carving, we have a gold-leafed. This is really no different than any ob other object in the room, but it's a way of like having a temple, having a monastery, having a meditation practice, so that we can actually emphasize the awareness part, because the awareness part, or the, the consciousness part, uh, the, when, when death comes without warning, uh, the, the consciousness part doesn't do anything. It's the body that drops away. The consciousness part is still there and was there before we, we became incarnated and will be there afterwards because it's not hooked into time and space. So we just had a, need a way to talk about that. All religions, it seems, come up with some kind of hocus pocus. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I'm just saying it. sometimes it seems like, just like all the sutras we did, all the fancy stuff where chanting and everything. Just, it's just a way of reminding us that, you know, we could work with this life in a, um, from a spiritual perspective rather than just a totally materialistic, I got to get ahead, I've got to win, I've got to beat everybody, I got to be the best and all that. So, it's, yes. Uh, Shane has two more questions. Okay. His first one is, do thoughts analyze themselves? Sean. Shane. Oh, well, then in that case. <laughs> <laughs> It's a real puzzler. It's almost as hard as, what's that, Sudoku? <laughs> Sudoku, that's a really hard. Uh, do thoughts, well, a thought is just a manifestation, so I, I'm not, I don't know if it, I think it takes some kind of a, of a, some kind of a push to be able to go into that. So there needs to be something that goes, wraps around that and continues to check into it. So I don't know, I don't even know what a thought is. I just know that. There seems to be a whole truckload of them coming and going. But as far as what they, we know what they do, they get in our way. And they, they come, they hang out for a while, and they either make us happy or make us feel sad or add to our confusion about things or, or whatever. But there's no, there's no substance to them. We can't, 
Like, I can't have your thoughts. We just know that we have things that we're calling thoughts. So, do you have a question? You're just waving at me? Yeah. Oh. No. Mm -hmm. uh, his second question, uh, can hate arise without a belief in its truth or non-truth? I suppose, I suppose there's, I understand what, what he's uh, endeavoring to track there, but I suppose if it's something is uh, triggered uh, out of fear, uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, xenophobia is really powerful if you suddenly are afraid of something that is, there's some kind of conditioning that's out of sight around the corner that has to do with your karma, use that word, maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure what the, what the, uh, what's, Provoking that particular question. No, I'm not following that too well. Kozan has another question. Yes. She asks, what's the difference between spirit and a soul? Well, there are two concepts. Spirit, uh, soul uh, tends to point, uh, uh, seems to point to something that is a little bit more solid uh, idea. And uh, some uh, theistic traditions usually use the word soul. Uh, Non-theistic traditions might use the word spirit. Some people have... I don't know. There's all kinds of other words. Anyone think of any other words for that? Kind of, huh? Mind. mind could be mind. Consciousness. Uh, consciousness doesn't really have a, a functions without can function without a body, without a physical form. So I think it's a it's a puzzle because it's there are teachings that that say that even the soul, and this is why spirit might work a little bit better, can actually break up into different parts. That you can actually be living other lives right now. So. And that's, uh, I like to say it this way, it's not something to believe or disbelieve. You're much better off to not believe or disbelieve, and that way everything is open, everything is seen for what it is rather than rather than chasing it down with I don't believe it or, or saying I do believe it or putting any kind of thought patterns on top of things. Anytime you name something or think of something, you tend to cover up at least part of it with uh, ignoring. Robert? So then that the birth be a connection to what lies possible. How do you mean? As an entrance from life to life, if time is irrelevant, then there has to be some sort of form entrance and leaving. So yeah. would that be the potential between all the connections, the gold line per se? Probably. I don't I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Yeah. Well we're on the same Sounds page good. there. I don't know either. I mean I, I'm I'm up here and I'm giving a talk about it, but I'm I'm in, I'm addressing things that I'm not all that clear about myself. What I am clear about is anytime you lock down on anything, you, that you ignore everything else. So insofar as you can, yeah, keep an open hand. Keep open hands and don't land every, anywhere. Don't even land in Buddhism. Don't even don't land anywhere. And you could say, well, what have you done? You've certainly landed somewhere. You're wearing a robe and you present yourself as a somebody who knows stuff. Are you saying that? So I'm working on it. <laughs> Fundamentally, I couldn't do this if I landed somewhere because I would be I would be way too vulnerable to criticism. I'm extremely sensitive to what people think and have been since I was born. So that is not the case anymore. So you please, you know, go ahead and criticize me. If you do very much, I probably won't come back. But I'm just saying that, that, that that's sensi that's I'm so sensitive to what others think. Still am. It's just that there's less of a of a me behind all of that. So therefore. Uh, I spent uh, easily 30-some years looking at that. Junchu, who, me? Um, I must have made a mistake. <laughs> I don't know what to do. So it's, uh, it, it tends to be choiceless. 
I know that's a difficult term or word to explain to people, but it's not really making decisions, uh, something that uh, I had to do. I often say to people who, if they want to officially become a, a Buddhist, so a Raksu or a robe or something, or even want to be a student of mine, I say, don't do anything unless you have to. If you don't have to do it, don't do it. And all I'm really saying is, just be really sure. That, you know, don't don't do it just for the hell of it. Some some uh, uh, organizations actually will try to get you to say, well, the next thing you need to do is so a rock sewer, sign on the dotted line, and become a member or pay dues. I'm not making those organizations wrong, but I'm just saying we're we're going to do that here. So you you need to have it's your path and it's respected. If you come, it's respected. If you leave, it's respected. Do whatever you need to do. Trust yourself. I trust you. I don't mistrust. There's anybody here I don't completely trust. I mean, if you're going to say, well, let's just test that guy. I'm going to go out and murder somebody right now. So do you trust me? I would say, what did I say to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I keep her around. Did you hear what she said? Don't do anything unless you have to. But you know, like it says on the little pillow in the room in there, has anybody read that pillow? It said, you, you may have to kill somebody. That's not for you to hear, Ruby. <laughs> well, I, I made the big mistake of saying that in a talk one time uh, a couple years ago or something. I said, you know, I'm just trying to say, you know, you, your karma may come along and knock you right off your feet and take you in a direction you thought, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Uh, but you, when I said you may have to kill somebody, I, I didn't mean that, that may nece would necessarily come up. I'm just saying karma is really, really powerful. And, and, and you know, it, if you go look in the mirror and you want to see how powerful it is, how much did you have to say over how you look, how you think, who you are, what your identity is, what your IQ is, what your race is, what your sex is? Nothing. We just show up here as a little tiny person. People give us a name and tell us what to do. You know, eat your cereal. You know, and, and slowly we get to, uh, acclimated to that. We get conditioned to live in a society of human beings. So uh, then uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Tonley, uh so one day, I sh a pillow shows up in the mail with that. He had one of his friends sew a pillow that says, you may have to kill somebody with a bloody knife on it, too. I like that. So yes? What, what, are you, what are you actually advocating in this talk? I mean, on, the, on, the one, on the one hand, we, you say karma is, get how you put it, but karma is uh, yeah. intense or very strong. It is. But um, this talk is about being aware of anger as it arises. Yes. At what point do we just act out the anger, and do we actually have any choice in acting out that anger or responding to someone reactively, for instance? <clears throat> you have some choice, but not a lot. But it's if you're really clear about what choice is, and if you've spent some time training your mind so you can see the, the, the bad neighborhood, so to speak, showing up four or five blocks away, then there's a possibility you can you can avoid going into that kind of a horrible situation. So that's what I'm saying, just more awareness so that whatever karma arises for you personally or me or anyone else, my goodness, if I hadn't met my teacher in, uh, in the early 70s, I, I don't think I would be alive Not because there was just too much anger. And it was, and the anger would go out towards others and then come back towards me. It was just really intense. Now, maybe I would have made it, I don't know, but I don't know, it doesn't seem like it. It was pretty scary at the time. So, and he, how did he help me? He said, sit down, find out who you are, make friends with yourself. So, and I spent many years doing that. 
and doing following his instructions and following his teachings and practicing what he told me to do. So, so yeah. Are you, are you suggesting that karma is something that can be refined? Maybe. Karma is, you know, it's uh, basically the word karma is Sanskrit for, for cause and effect or action. This happens, that happens. But what we miss is the dependent origination. We think that we think that what happens to us is actually that is causing something to happen to us. But by spreading the awareness or stretching the awareness, we begin to see that it isn't just tit for tat. It isn't just that simple cause and effect situation. It's uh, extremely uh, complicated and elaborate. And so therefore, whatever's coming towards us is a combination of just um, many, many tendrils of karma all coming to converging on one point, coming together as an action or a reaction. So I would say uh, you can't particularly get control, but you may be so aware of it that you won't be at the mercy of it. That's kind of what I'm saying. When I say you may have to kill somebody, you may have to do something like that. I don't know. Sometimes people, it's been in my experience that, uh, in the past where I've just not been able to control that particular situation. So I don't know, but I think more awareness is better. Yes. Uh, well, so in, in such an instance, uh, when you have more awareness of what's going on in front of you, you're watching yourself, as you put it earlier, go out and, and hurt somebody. Where, what is the difference? between the person that is doing that with rage, with anger, with a self, and a person that is doing that with no self, but all that rage and anger is still... If, if there's no self, the rage and anger probably is not going to find a... Uh, probably not going to find a hook in anything. It may come up, but it would just happen in the consciousness of one who, is, who has uh, seen through and transcended the personal self and the attachment to other. But that's transcendence. So you're saying it wouldn't arise as an action, verbally or physically? It, it may, but but the, uh, not as less. There's less chance of that getting a hold of anything. There isn't anything really to grasp onto. There's no self. There's just uh, the self-existing quality of the anger. The anger just arises in space, and it still may be very uh, uh, difficult for the person that that's, that's dealing with that. That they might they wouldn't necessarily clench their fists. So. And, you know, we could discuss this uh, for a while, and we may get somewhere, we may not. I think the most important thing that anybody can do is to uh, train their mind. Sit down, hold still, whether you have a sangha or a teacher or a teaching or whatever, but training your mind seems to be really important. So if there's less chance in your life of engaging in that kind of uh, circular activity of winning and losing and winning and losing and winning and losing. More? Well, isn't this discussion part of training your mind? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I'll just look to you. Well, I'm curious if there's a difference in uh, having this Dharma talk and asking questions <coughs> yeah. feeling responsive to some other thing that you're pointing at when you say training. What, well, uh, what I'm like saying... Directly, what, what yeah. is... Training in mind. Well, this, is, this is part of it. Yeah, this is part of it. Uh, asking questions of a of a teacher or at, or having a discussion with other people in the Sangha about the teachings, that's training the mind, uh, practicing the forms, um, and also the, uh, training the awareness to, this is what we do when we do sitting meditation, to see more clearly. So when we get up off the cushion and go out into our everyday, uh, highly uh, charged and polarized life, culture, families, and so on, 
that when when things arise that are difficult, or however they rise, that we are we are able to see them more clearly and less likely to, to go into praise and blame. So training the mind is a little of each. There's a, as a, it's been said in the a traditional way of saying uh, uh, the wings of the bird. There's the one wing which is the, the conceptual thinking mind, the concepts and so on. And then there's the other wing of the bird which is the intuition or the awareness practice. Both of those seem to be necessary. So you, you meditate. Of course I'm Well, so I'm, Jesse, you meditate? Well, I do. All right. <laughs> Ruby meditates. I saw you meditate a little bit. A little bit, yes. Oh, William Murray from up in Grand Rapids. Yes, William. He asks, you mentioned that you may have to kill someone, mm -hmm. and that mean yourself. <clears throat> well, sure, but uh, it's not a good idea. It's probably, it's probably not as bad as it looks to all of us, I mean, <laughs> but it's not a good idea because it's so circular, you just come back and have to go through the same lessons again, the way I understand it. You have to, if you do that, then you have to come back and go through a very similar kind of lesson. So don't do that, William. William's not thinking of it. I think he's thinking of maybe killing someone else. <laughs> yeah, Shoka. Shoka Ryan, um, one time you said that uh, this body isn't opaque. Yes. What do you mean by that? I'm just, it's just another way of saying egolessness. I mean, look and see, see, see how we, as we grow up, we slowly take possession of this is my body, my, my everything, my stuff, my environment, my skill, my ability, my lack of skill and ability. My, we, we just tend to see everything through some kind of subjectivity. So, what's your question? Uh, my question is, whose body is? Whole identity, whole idea of identity is, uh, is just doesn't it doesn't have any traction there. I mean, it does as long as there's a, you could say, well, obviously, this is my, I'm the one who's feeling this, you know, but if you notice in the Zen tradition, uh, because of realization of those who have, those who are realized, uh, will sometimes say, uh, you know, something completely contradictory to that in order to help you see that your presumptions, your preconceptions about the nature of the world of reality are not, uh, not particularly true. They might say, you know, uh, I can't, none of them are coming up. Any, does anybody remember any of those Zen stories? I eat beans, you <laughs> fart. Yeah, there's a good one. <laughs> Who said that? Some guy with a funny name. Yeah, so it's, I do something and you have the result. So it's just a way of saying, a way of uh, putting a little bit of, uh, of uh, um, just interfering with the stability of fixation, the fixation on itself and the fixation on the, the results of something. This happens, therefore this, this is the result. So there's some of that going on, but there's also an extended form of that that begins to show up if one practices, sitting practice of meditation, one begins to see more and more the complete uh, lack of solidity in the self-centeredness and also the lack of solidity in others. But it's not something to be to be believed, it's not a. This is not a spiritual path where you believe one thing and disbelieve another. So it's an. It's it is about awareness rather than some kind of philosophical existential positioning on something. Very good. Thank you very much. I'd like to remind everybody we do have a donation two donation boxes out in the hallway. We certainly appreciate and need your financial support. Help us as much as you can.
We also accept donations through PayPal and through debit and credit cards and checks in the mail.